Welcome to the Thought Leadership Podcast, where we share insights on how you can become the go-to thought leader in your niche. I'm your host, Alejandro Sanoja, founder and personal branding consultant at Latin Impresarios, and today our guest is Nick Wozniak. Nick Wozniak is a content strategist and the founder of The Brand Shift, a LinkedIn content creation and personal branding agency for seven-figure founders and solopreneurs. He specializes in building authority and driving revenue through content strategy. Nick spent his time creating content, hosting The Brand Shift podcast, and helping others crack the code on LinkedIn and use their voice to achieve their goals. Well, Nick, I've been looking forward to this conversation, and I want to start at the beginning. I noticed that you have a super simple digital presence. It's your LinkedIn profile and a Linktree type website that has kind of your educational content, your minimum viable um, do-it-yourself offer so that people can connect and see that you, what you're talking about. And then I think it's one or two options to, hey, this is how we can move forward. You can sign up for my newsletter or or schedule an appointment. So I want to know why, what's behind that minimalism? Yeah, I think it's kind of one of those uh, build the plane as you fly it type of deals. I, uh, I come from a background in brand identity design, working agency and freelance. And there came a point where I was really excited about building my own thing, building my own personal brand and building my online presence. And I wanted to be able to make an impact, um, but I didn't want to spend tons of time overcomplicating it. I was kind of sick of uh, trying to get everything perfect and I was ready just to launch. And so I really did fall in love with just having the minimum viable strategy. How can I do this in the simplest way possible? And so it, that's all it is. I, I post on LinkedIn. That's my only channel. Um, and then I have a super simple uh, website that invites people, hey, if you want to get in touch with me, here's a simple calendar link. You can just set up a time. And then I've created some resources that you can have access to here as well. And so really, I think it's important, especially if you're someone who's transitioning in a business or if it's a side hustle, uh, to keep things as simple as possible. There's so much technology that you could dive into. Um, but really, it's a distraction at first, because at first, you're still testing, you're still iterating, you're still discovering, and you're improving as you go. And so you don't want to sink tons of time into getting your strategy or website perfect before you realize you're throwing it all out the window. Correct. Then I want to go deeper into that, because I love how your Gumroad setup is either for um, the, the minimum viable the 10-day workbook, and I think you also have a product there. So is this something that, because I've seen a lot of people use it, I think it's great because it shows the testimonials. It's kind of like a, a product landing page where you just got to fill in the blanks. Um, how did you find out about Gumroad and how, what has been your experience so far using it? Yeah, so I was familiar with Gumroad for some time now. Um, I first learned about it when I was back in high school. Uh, people were selling t-shirts and like random stuff on there because I've always been fascinated by entrepreneurship. When I got into the personal branding space, I came across Justin Welsh really quickly and he was advocating for Gumroad at the time. And the reason is it's so simple and it's free. Uh, they take a, a cut 
um, that is like kind of significant, but really like they make it intuitive and easy to start. And it kind of exactly, it's that same thing. I just wanted to get something out as quickly as possible, worry less about the technology. And so far it's been a fantastic experience. So first I launched my, um, my rapid content workshop on there. And that is a digital product that helps people create content faster. And it's just a video that's embedded um, in like an hour long workshop. And then I attached a bunch of different resources to it. And I can just drop a link in my profile. People can go there, they can purchase it and they automatically get um, everything that's included and I get access to their email. Um, and that's really nice. And it keeps track of analytics for me and it transfers that money and it takes payment for me. So I feel like there are definitely better ways to do it. Um, but it's the simplest way that allowed me to focus on launching a product, which a lot of people think about for a long time before they finally do it. But I wanted to launch it as fast as possible, make it happen and not overthink the tech. Yeah, I absolutely. I think there's also kind of like a meta personal branding process there. Not only what you are sharing in the, in the actual workshop and in the workbook, but the, the process that you use to do this so quickly and to be able to iterate, I think there's kind of like a meta, uh, another uh, workshop there. Cause I think it's brilliant what you're saying that you don't have to worry about getting everything perfect and the strategy and the keywords and the design for the website. And what's it like? It's like, no, like, let's start with this. Let's like get conversation with actual real people and then, and then see what's resonating. Now, I also want to ask you, Nick, cause I think, you're doing a great job. I was looking through your feed on LinkedIn and I love the visual identity. You have, you not only have great written posts, you also are doing a great job of sharing relevant personal stories. And you also have a mix of kind of like the visualized value type posts where it's like a concept or an idea and with like two to three images, you illustrate that. Um, so what's the process behind all that um, great visualized value type post? Are you a designer? Is that your background? Did you learn a little bit to create this? How do you work through creating those kind of posts? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that's kind of uh, how I found my way of sticking out. Early on, um, I, I come from a background in brand identity design and graphic design. And so uh, I have a background in design, but I got to a point where I was much more interested in strategy and content creation. And that being said, I still love creating beautiful graphics. And so I had a very strong visual identity going into creating content on LinkedIn. And I've never posted without a graphic or a photo. And early on, I had the same style that I have now, except I was using a lot more like text, like kind of explaining concepts uh, or having quotes and that type of thing. And then after a while, I realized like, I really want to help people visualize exactly what it is I'm talking about. And Jack Butcher at Visualize Value does a fantastic job of this. Uh, he's very iconic and my style is very much inspired from him. And I just think about the concepts that I'm, that I've been teaching and that I've been learning and how can I better understand them myself. And so I'll literally pull out a sketchbook, start sketching out. How do I like understand this concept visually? Cause I'm a very visual person. 
And after I've kind of figured out an interesting way to explain it, I'll bring it into Adobe Illustrator and create uh, a little graphic that goes along with the post. And I found that it really helps people to understand kind of what I'm talking about uh, and add a little bit of an interesting angle to things. Yeah, I think it looks amazing. And it does like one image communicates way more than however words you can put in there. So yeah, please keep doing that because it's it's also... Um, it's a visually refreshing. Um, I don't know exactly. Um, my background is not in design, but um, it feels kind of like an arcade. I don't know how to describe it. You probably have a better way of describing, it, but it feels kind of like a. It has some elements of of an arcade. It feels like one of those uh, with a little um, spaceships that that would shoot um, uh, missiles to the enemies. Um, but yeah, it, it looks great. Now. I wanna I wanna keep going deeper also into the elements of of the content and the resources that you're putting out there. So, what was your reasoning behind creating the ten day content strategy workbook? Because I feel like there's different advice out there catered towards what should be free and what should be paid, right? Like if you give too much for free, people are not gonna value it. Um, I think it's Ramit Sethi that said that whenever he was doing free um, finance advice, nobody would come. And then when he started charging money, people would show up. So how do you find the balance between, okay, this is, this is a free tool that I want people to use to get started so that they can see, number one, that I, I know what I'm doing, I can offer value, but then they ask help for the next step and I can see they're committed versus if I give too much then people are not going to value it. How do you find that that balance? That's a really good point. Something I think a lot of solopreneurs struggle with. Um, when I was first creating content, um, honestly, selling just always felt so hard for me as a creative. Like selling just doesn't feel natural at all, and I really, don't, frankly, just don't want to sell at all. But I also want to. The, the The only way I can truly be able to be on LinkedIn often, give as much time and energy to the resources I want to be creating for people. At some point, I have to be able to pay the bills to do that. And so when I realized, had that realization, I launched my paid workshop and I didn't know if anyone would like it. And so I priced it really low. It was only 27 bucks. And I ended up having like 25 people uh, go to that live workshop, which was incredible. And I realized, oh, wow, like I can, I can charge. Um, and so before too long, I wanted to do a more extensive uh, thing. I got a lot of feedback from that workshop that they wanted to actually spend more time working on different aspects. And so I started creating a cohort program. I launched that poor cohort at $470. It's gonna be multi-week, uh, very intensive. I thought that justified the price, but I wasn't able to fill it. And the, I think the main reason was because I was trying to uh, fill it all through social media and I didn't have any access to emails, which would be the most direct way to get in touch with people. And so realizing that I needed to a better method of distribution because social media is really powerful. LinkedIn is really amazing. Um, but having emails is the most intimate and powerful way to like make a connection and, and offer people a solution. And so I thought, okay, how can I create something insanely valuable that would allow me to ask for people's email? And ultimately I created, um, a 10 day content strategy workbook. And that workbook uh, was literally everything that I'm doing to build a content strategy. It's what I use to help my clients. Uh, I didn't hold back at all. 
Um, and so I put it all in there and I'm really sharing everything. And the reality is it sounds a little scary to give everything, all your secrets. Um, and maybe people won't need you if you give all your secrets away. But the reality is that I don't believe that. I think that people, if you're willing to share everything, you know, that you're able to better make an impact and you'll ultimately have plenty of business because people realize that you genuinely want to help them. Yeah. And I think I, I don't remember who I heard it from, but it's basically something like it's one thing to know the recipe and it's another one to be able to cook a great dish. Right. So I think what you did with the 10 day workbook is there's a great recipe there, but that doesn't mean they're going to be able to be master chefs just putting all those those ingredients together. I, I am with you that the best thing is to share everything because there's there are no secrets. You still have to put in the work and and iterate. And talking about that and iteration, you have a great story exercise there where you ask specific questions. And if you want to know about the question, download the workbook. But you ask very good questions. And then with the answers to those questions, you build really good templates that people can use for the mission statement, positioning statement. And there's a story exercise where you go deep into the story of the person, the creator, right? And I wanted to ask you, because I've I've also had Michelle Griffin on the on the podcast, and she's also in personal branding. And she said a great line that I was like, wow, I, I am stealing that, which was personal, your personal brand is not about you. And I totally agree. But then I look at your workbook, and I see the story exercise. And I also totally agree. And it's kind of like the opposite, because it's focused on you and your story. Um, so how do you find the balance of knowing how and when to share? How and when do you share a personal story that it's not related to anything about what you do professionally? And how do you share some testimonial? How and when do you share um, some um, promotion of the workbook? What is your process to understanding how and when to share the different kinds of stories and content? Yeah, I think when in doubt, give value to your audience, um, make it all about them. That being said, your story is your competitive advantage, right? So in the world of personal branding, the person that gets understood the fastest wins and people understand people through story. They understand you through your experiences. They're able to relate to you through your vulnerabilities, your trials and your successes. And so when it comes to creating content, you do have to help people understand who you are, what you've been through, and especially how it is you can help them as a result, right? So bridging that gap between those two things is kind of the secret sauce. It's you've been through so much, you have this perspective and this expertise, but it isn't about you. It's about how that perspective and expertise can now help you to um, help them get to where they want to go. And so when in doubt, definitely don't talk about yourself but help people to understand who you are and how you can go about helping them and then really focus your content on how you can get them from A to B. And what this could kind of look like is a story, an experience where you went through something and as a result, you've learned something powerful that you can now pass off to them. And so you really put the emphasis on here are the steps that you can take 
Uh, so they understand you've been there and then you understand them and here's what you can do as a result. And as people do take action on the content you create, that's where trust is really built. Um, if you tell your story, they remember you. If they take action on your content, they trust you. And that's the between the two of those things really creates a powerful online presence. That's a great point. They remember you through your stories and they trust you through the value you share. I'll, I'm going to steal that as I did with uh, Michelle's line. Now, you also in that workbook talk about, hey, commit to a cadence. How many times are you going to post per week and per month? And I do believe that in terms of content creation, there is a line where it could not be enough, right? It's kind of like going to the gym. If a personal trainer tells you, hey, Nick, you let me know how many times you want to come to the gym. And you're like, well, I want to come once a week. It would be his job to tell you, well, with once a week, nothing is going to happen. No change is going to happen because you need a minimum of days to kind of like break the muscle fibers to be able to see the change, right? I, I don't remember. Um, I think it's after two to three, three or four days of not training that muscle uh, starts to decay. It's like, it's really fast. And, and the more you don't train, the steeper the, the downhill curve. And I imagine... Um, there's something like that with content. So how do you go about when people tell you, and too much can be harmful as well, right? Somebody who is has never done any exercise, they want to do two a days right away. It's like, hey, no, like you're going you're gonna to get an injury. Let's start with three days. Then maybe after two months, we go to five and something like that, right? So how do you find those good, balance points with content when you, when you're talking to people and they tell you well my commitment is once a month or my commitment right out of the gate is three times per day how do you go about those conversations i think your analogy is spot on i think there's there's a certain amount of content that really starts to make an impact um generally speaking though i i am on the side of i think prolific is better than perfect so if you're gonna it'd be better to create more content and fail and struggle and learn than it would be to post less often and try to get every single post like absolutely perfect. I think the best learning happens as you're consistently creating. It's kind of like, even if your form isn't perfect at the gym at first, it's still good to start going, start practicing, start improving. And that being said, though, there is a certain point that you do have to kind of make it happen. Uh, and if you're not ready to commit to posting consistently, I highly recommend that you commit to engaging consistently. Uh, that's extremely important. Uh, you can make fantastic relationships uh, and frankly, build your business through those relationships as you network, as you engage with people's posts who are within your industry and niche, as you reach out via DM and connect with people who are influential. Um, there is so much opportunity to be active and you can start to become, in a small way, a contributor through that engagement. And in a lot of ways, you'll start to actually build up that muscle through commenting and through talking to people to know what it is that is interesting to people to talk about. And I think that's a really great place to start. 
and then when you're getting going creating content a pretty typical good rule of thumb is is three times a week uh it's typically not too overwhelming it's typically um pretty doable but it will start to get results um i mean if you're posting three times a week uh for several months you're immediately in the top few percent of creators and that's very powerful but if all you can muster is one or two posts a week then at least make sure your engagement is incredible because you'll still be able to continue to build up that muscle until eventually you can start posting more often. That's a good point about the commenting because I think LinkedIn notice and you can now turn a comment into a post. Mm. I think you can, you can comment and then you can share as a post that same comment and it kind of like links back to the whole conversation. So people have, have, context of what is that about and i heard i don't remember who said this it's someone who's super active on linkedin but it was the concept of sidecar posting which is that right like hey if at least this is the minimum you can do at least contribute to the conversation and i do agree that it kind of like feels weird at first because let's say you post about personal branding somebody might feel well nick is the expert on personal branding everything that i add here he's already going to know, but it's really about the conversation that it's going on. It's kind of like a, a mini mastermind where if you mention 10 components of personal branding, maybe this 11th, maybe you know it, but it kind of like kickstarts the conversation for someone else. And I know that was my, my experience at first, like, why am I going to share this if the person who made the post probably already knows this, but, um, but then great conversations happened because of that. Now, I want to go again, and this this might kind of like feel like a repeated question, but I love the known twist trait framework that you have. So I wanted to ask you, so we've talked about, okay, story exercise, you got to mix and match, how much is not enough, okay, three times per week. How would you use the known twist, and, and you probably already do so, but I wanted to get your, your take on how could one use the known twist trait framework to determine the relevance of the content you decide to share every day, right? Like you wanna kind of like have that mix that you said, hey, they remember you for your personal stories, but they build trust with your valuable content. Is there a way to use that known twist strain framework to determine like, okay, Monday's known, Wednesday's uh, twist and Friday's trade or something like that? Yeah, so, in the workbook, I outline a methodology I call the KTT method, which is the known twist trait. And the reason this stood out to me is I was studying some really impactful creators. And I was saying, how is it that they just stand out so well from everyone else? Like, you know, you, you've seen these people, they just stand out, they're unique, um, they're interesting. And so I started to kind of reverse engineer what it was exactly. And I, I noticed a, a pattern. I noticed that they were known for something specific, which most people know that. It's like pick something to be known for, right? Personal branding or real estate or whatever it is. But the two things that I didn't feel like I saw as often was the twist and the traits. And the twist is really just any differentiator, a unique factor, or even a quirk that helps you to stand out. One example of this is Chloe Fox, who is obsessed with watermelon socks. And her whole community is obsessed with watermelon socks and it makes her stand out. 
Another is Roman Pikalenko, who is uh, the flamingo guy. He's obsessed with flamingos. Now, it doesn't have to be outrageous, but it has to be something that's a little different. And for me, maybe it's my, my, my clean graphics that you don't see a lot of graphics on LinkedIn. And the last one is the trait. And this is simply just a personality trait, an emotion, uh, something that is consistent. And there's some really great examples out there for Chloe. It's happiness. Yours might be learning or stoicism, or maybe it's high energy, like salesman energy. Or, um, and, but you find that uh, trait. And between the three th- those three things, you find a very unique position in the market. And when people, the goal is when people are describing you, for example, when I'm describing Chloe to you, I'm like, oh, she's the girl. She talks about content marketing. She's super happy and she totally loves watermelon socks, right? In our brains, it's so much easier to remember someone for those unique factors versus being like, oh, they like post on LinkedIn a lot, you know? And so that's the goal is, is to kind of be top of mind for, for people when you're in that conversation. When it comes to how that influences your content, really, that just serves as a filter. Like, am I including these things? Like, how does this um, draw deeper into who I am, uh, what I want to be known for, and, and does it include my twist in my trait? And as you start to use those to kind of inform your content, your profile, um, it will help you to stand out and to be a little bit more unique and kind of a sea of same on LinkedIn. Yeah, that's a great point. As you were saying that, I just remembered there's a great book called Moonwalking with Einstein that talks about the the global world competition on memory. And one of the things they talk about when building your memory palace and, and the scenes that you build on your brain to make sure you remember is to build outrageous scenes. And what you just said about the watermelon sucks, right? Like you're like, that's, that's super different. That's going to stick out in your brain. So you're probably going to remember her more for that. And that's going to help you recall the content marketing aspect. Um, Yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic point. Now, okay, we're using, we're using the known trees trade. We're, we're posting on LinkedIn. Like you said, we're collecting emails. I wanted to ask you at what point should one think to start creating a website? Do you stick with LinkedIn, Linktree, and Gumroad, and that's your business model? So I keep it simple. My asset, it's it's really the emails, right? Like they could take away um, the Gumroad, they can take away the LinkedIn, but you're always going to have the emails that's an asset. Lists are valuable, we know. Or is it no, at X point, when this is already happening, it's when you think about investing in building that website. Yeah, totally. I, I, I think, I think it's really easy to get caught up with the technology. At least it was for me, which is why I've kept it so simple. And so, um, but that being said, there comes a point where technology starts to make things more efficient. Uh, and having a website becomes powerful. I personally would try to get your, if you're building a business, start with getting a client without a website, without a fancy pitch deck, without a logo, without any of that stuff. And then uh, ask your clients as you kind of work like, hey, how much of an impact do you think it would make if I had a really nice website when making your decision? 
And if the answer you start to get is, oh, I think that'd actually be pretty powerful. I think I would have maybe even made the decision quicker. Then you think, okay, I need to do this. If you're there like, no, I mostly just followed you on LinkedIn, liked your content, and I trusted you before I even contacted you. I don't mind this, the minimal approach. Then you just keep it as simple as possible. Uh, there's no reason to overcomplicate it. Software is expensive. Everything's 20 mm -hmm. or 30 bucks a month. And next thing you know, you have a tech stack of you know, 15 paid products, and it's incredibly expensive. And a lot of them are unnecessary. So where possible, run as lean as possible. Um, but where it's going to affect the customer experience and affect your brand, uh, it's worth it. And so I'm getting close to the point where a, a full, full website will start to become helpful. Um, it'll help me. I'll be able to create like um, a more streamlined way to bring clients in versus just having them directly book a call with me have kind of more of a filtering process, also have more upfront information. Um, and so there's a point that you want to get to there, but I would say you can, I would try to hold off as long as possible until it's almost, you have to, you have no other choice, um, but to upgrade. Yeah, that makes sense. And I love the point about just getting a client without anything. You don't need a logo. You don't need a pitch deck or anything. Just talk about the value that you can create and, and get someone to agree. Now, on that same line of reaching out to people and talking to people, I know you're big on personalized videos. I saw a post that you mentioned that. So I wanted to ask you about how much planning and production is there on those videos? I know you're big on frameworks. So if somebody out there, hey, I want to start doing the personalized videos because I know that's going to add a different touch and I'm going to be able to connect with people better. What would your... I don't know, 90 day plan on personalized videos would be for that person that wants to get started? That's a good question. Um, I think if I take the time to reverse engineer my strategy, there would be some takeaways, but I haven't done that. That being said, I think you can still leverage it as a huge tool to build your network. One thing that I want to kind of share is that unscalable community building is just unmatched, especially early on. Uh, you've got large creators with 30 to 100,000 followers who just simply do not have the capacity to keep up with their DMs or even their comments. As a smaller creator, you have a superpower and a huge advantage over them in the fact that you can respond to every single comment and you can respond to every single DM and make a real impression. And that impression is so much more powerful when you send a video DM. And so I started sending video DMs and they're not scripted, the low production. I hold up my phone and I say, hey, how's it going? And I, it's not like uh, an intro post either if we've just connected. It's almost always people who I've interacted with in my comments before who've DM'd once and forth, back and forth a few times and I come through and I say, hey, it's long time no see. Glad you're doing well. You know, here's what's going on. Or I just respond to their question. I just use it as a, a normal method of communication, except for they see my face, they hear my voice. And um, from what I understand, there's like a minute long cap on, on video DMs. And so I just keep it at one minute. And that's the whole message as much as I can fit in there as possible. And sometimes I'll add a little bit of text to, to wrap up the thought, but people really start to notice like, 
oh, that's who he is. They recognize me. They know my voice and they show up more often to support me in my content. And they're more often the pe same people who reach out when they need help and want to work with me. And so it's just such a powerful way to make connections. And a lot of those people have become friends who we've done podcasts with and who we've done live streams with and who I've collaborated with and become partners with. And uh, it's just networking on steroids. It's so powerful to show your face. Mm -hmm. And tactically, is it, do you record the video and then upload as a file in the conversation? Or is there, a, is there an option to, instead of write a text, kind of like WhatsApp, record a video and send it through LinkedIn? Good question. So tactically, uh, you have to do it through, you do not have to, but it's most easy to do it through the LinkedIn app. Um, and so what you'll do is I just record a video on my phone, um, just through the camera. And then I go to LinkedIn into the messages and then you hit the paperclip and you can hit add video or picture. And then you select that video you took and you hit send. And uh, a lot of people, because it's not super intuitive, uh, and LinkedIn is notorious for being kind of unintuitive. Uh, mm -hmm. a lot of people aren't doing it which is kind of an advantage if you are going to start leveraging it because very few people are using it. And I often get people to say, I've never gotten a you know, video message before. This is so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine that, that it makes a difference. Now you talked about community, do the things that do not scale at the beginning so that you can build community. And would you recommend at first or, or when do you make that transition from, finding a community, right? What we've talked about, see who's posting out there, see what they talk about and try to engage there and add value. And when do you transition to creating your community, whether it's just commenting on LinkedIn or like you said, hey, I have a cohort, I have a Slack channel, I have a Discord. How are you thinking about finding versus creating community? That's a good question. I think. At first, yeah, you're definitely exploring. You're looking for your people uh, from what other people are creating and in comments. And then you start to create content that is interesting to you. And you inevitably, uh, with, because how huge the internet is, find other people who resonate with your way of thinking, with your interests. And so before long, you've got five or six or seven or before long, maybe a hundred or so people who are consistently showing up to your content, loving the discussion that's going on. And then that's when you start to think about deplatforming, where you say, okay, social media is a powerful platform, but I don't own this space. I need to find a way to add more value and be able to have more one-on-one -on -one connections with these people. Uh, that is maintainable. And so that can look a lot of ways. A newsletter is very common where people want to get emails and then have a place where they can send you useful information, but also be in touch. You can just straight up email each other back and forth. The other great option is something like a closed community. Uh, Aaron Barreto has recently launched his Build in Public community, and it's a great example of that. Via, it's in Slack. And it's where you can go and have conversations with other solopreneurs and um, it's, it's really powerful because as the creator, you're often creating that, that space through your content for people to interact. But with a closed community, other people can initiate those conversations 
And it takes a lot of the pressure off just one person talking to everyone. And it just becomes everyone interacting and helping each other. They're very hard to pull off. Um, you have to have quite a few people to be able to have it naturally keep a good flow of conversation and, and growth. But inevitably, that would be the goal for, for what I'm trying to accomplish on LinkedIn is to build a very strong, close community. Maybe that's five years from now where people can build their brands together, create content together and build a support system. That's what a lot of people need. Just accountability, some friends, some people who've been through it and just can help each other have success. Solopreneurship is kind of a scam. No one's doing this thing all the way alone, right? You have mm -hmm. to have other people. It's a, you've got to surround yourself with great people. Otherwise, it's so brutal. And so communities are so powerful for that. Yeah, absolutely. Someone who's been there and they have a map so that when things get tough, you don't lose sight of, of where is it that you're going. And that, that's such a great point because it reminds me, I'm, I'm recently, I had an Achilles tendon injury a while ago and um, I played basketball competitively in, in, college, in high school and college. And for a while, I'm like, okay, after the Achilles tendon injury, I'm like, I'm not going to play anymore. I'm not going to risk it. And then recently some friends invited me for a tournament. So I, I, I am terrible right now, like out of breath. My dribble is it's, it's all over the place. Like I look like a person who does not know how to play when I, when I was kind of like training again. But because I knew where I can get, because I already did it once, I'm not worried. I'm just like, I just need to train, like do some drills, shooting, jump rope. And then in six months, a little bit, I'll, I'll be okay. And then if I really want to push it, so I have, I have no doubt, right? Because I've been there. So that's a great point that if you have community, if you, you have someone who's two, maybe two or three steps ahead, they can just point the way. And when you have a difficulty, it's like, yeah, that happens in month two, then in, in three, this, and then in four, you see a, a big jump. So, so keep going with it. That's a great point. Now, Nick, talking about that community, um, connecting with your people, you have a in your workbook with the ikigai concept you talk about passion and i've heard this um i agree with with both the extremes and i also it came to mind what um they talk about in the e-myth that it's very different to have a passion and make money of it than to create a business around it right because let's say for example you love designing it's one thing to be a freelancer and sell design projects and that's what you do then build a design business because maybe if you build a design business you don't design anymore right like you are just going to be the face and you're going to sign clients and and then other people are going to design so what would be your recommendation somebody's going through the workbook somebody's thinking okay do i make my passion part of my business or do I don't so that I can keep that separate and my business is my business and my passion is my passion and it doesn't get tainted. Yeah, that's a really good point. So the idea of Ikigai is it's your reason for being. It comes from Japan and it kind of consists of four things. It's what you love, um, what you're good at, what you can be paid to do and what the world needs. And at the intersection of these things is kind of, your purpose uh, as a thing that you can do the most. Now, that being said, not all your hobbies have to be how you make your living. 
And some hobbies, you've heard this before, are, are better off to stay in hobbies because <laughs> you can take mm-hmm. them uh, as you try to, try to monetize those. That being said, helping people in a way that you really enjoy can be a really great business model. And so for me, I am obsessed with personal branding. I think it's the most fascinating thing. And it's so powerful that in today's day and age, anyone with the internet can create something impactful. And for me, I find deep joy in teaching and teaching people how they can do it too. And so for me, I've realized that what I'm good at is teaching and personal branding. Um, and it's what I, well, I guess what I'm good at is teaching. What I'm passionate about is personal branding. Uh, what can I be paid to do? I think teaching people how to do this for themselves, how to build their businesses. Um, and what does the world need? Honestly, I think the world needs more people telling their story and being able to live their passion to be able to help others. I think that if more people were living their passion and helping other people, that the world would simply be a better place. And so I think personally that you can make, um, you can turn something you're passionate about into a business. And Mm -hmm. the thing to consider is, will it be a a large business? Often that might be what make, what taints it. Um, But there's a book, called Company of One by Paul Jarvis that I really was impacted by. And it's really kind of the whole idea of solopreneurship. It's how can I make the smallest business possible? (laughs) Instead of trying to build something that's the largest business possible, it's like, how can I make the most impact by building the smallest possible business? And so if you can do it in this solopreneurship uh, spirit, Hopefully, um, it's become something that not only that you love, but it fits your lifestyle. So you're not pouring outrageous amount of hours into it. And it creates an asset that will help you to continue to live your life that you're passionate about. But it's a really delicate balance. And I do think a lot of people disagree with me on that. But I, I strongly believe that your passion can be your job and that it can be a wonderful experience. Yeah so many ways we can we can go from there i love the recommendation about the book if you enjoyed that one uh, i don't know if you've read this one i think it's a one person one million dollar business it's a it's a kind of like a recopilation of some of the case studies that came about because of the book that tim ferris published a while ago the four hour work week so uh, take a look at that one it's i think the the the, the one that you mentioned, it's kind of like more strategic and big picture. This other one goes super specific into some resources. Like if you want sourcing, these are the websites. This is what we're using. It has kind of like an appendix with a with a bunch of, of different resources. So so definitely take a look. Yeah, and I wanted to circle back because I do think that what you what you were saying about finding your ikigai in teaching is that because we've had several people that are on LinkedIn that talk about personal branding. And, and it's amazing to me. I have a mindset of abundance and I think there's there's more than enough room for anyone who's doing a great job and who really, like you said, this is, this is their passion. This is what they want to do. Uh, but what I do notice, this is kind of like an outside perspective, is the simplicity of what you're doing. I do think like, um, this is, you heard it here first, the the meta model of like hey just create like simple website gumroad 
a free workshop, paid workshop, schedule call. I I love it. Um, so I do think that that's something that I haven't seen anyone else do it in, in such a way. Now, Nick, we've talked about passion, ikigai, telling your story, personal branding, design, and so many other things. But when people ask you, what do you do? What is your typical answer? Yeah, I try to give an answer that's, uh, that my grandma can understand. <laughs> and so I run an agency. It's the Brand Shift. It's a personal branding agency. And basically, we use social media to drive revenue and get more clients, especially for people who are running personal brands. So that's solopreneurs and coaches. And uh, really, that's the power all comes through that content that we create on LinkedIn. You mentioned solopreneurs and coaches. Is there anyone out there? Like I said, we have several different people in this space. Um, who is that person that you're more most passionate about? Who is the person that you click the most? That if you could pick all the people in that kind of like community to work with you, that would make your life amazing and their life amazing as well. The thing about people who are solopreneurs is they're often so passionate about the thing that they're doing and just talking to them is really exciting and working with them is hard to not get excited with them. So that being said, I've had a joy to work with a lot of different types of clients. That being said, one of my favorites and one I'm looking forward to working more with in the future is real estate coaches. Those that are helping others take charge of their financial situation and prepare themselves to have to live the life that they want to live. And I personally am very fascinated by real estate investing. And so working with these people who are deeply knowledgeable and have a lot of experience has not only been like just as fun for me, um, but what I've been able to, we've been able to create content together that's resonated with so many people and helping them to achieve their financial goals. And most of all, their lifestyle goals. And so if you're a real estate coach, uh, helping people to invest, um, working together has been something that I've absolutely loved doing. Nick, this has been a wonderful conversation. I know I leave with a lot of actionable insights. I'm going to review my the content that I've been sharing with the known twist. Um, I forgot the known twist trait um, to see like how can I add a little bit more relevance um, We've talked about the 10-day the workbook, the workshop that you have. Is there any anything else that you'd like to share with the audience? No, I'm so grateful to be able to be here and to share. And if you're out there and you're thinking about getting started, please do it. Uh, it'll make such an impact. You know, I was planning for so long to make it happen, uh, but it wasn't until I finally hit post that I started to, to learn and to grow and to see the traction that I now have today. And so if you're on the fence about posting, hit post and, and start on that journey. Well, thank you very much, Nick, for this amazing conversation. And for anyone, anybody out there listening, thank you for being here with us and we'll see you in the next episode.